We've been looking at so this idea of rebuilding vision, rebuilding the church, and, and what does that look like and what does that mean? And this morning we're looking at um, sort of unity. What does, that, what does that look like and what can we learn from Ezra and Nehemiah about unity? So last week Glenn talked about vision and, and leadership and how basically Ezra has this vision to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah has a vision to rebuild the, um, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And here's one of the things that I picked up from last week and then reading over Ezra and Nehemiah again, is that vision as a le- is often given to leaders, pretty much always given to leaders throughout the Bible, that the leaders have a vision of where they want to take the people or what they want to do. And that vision, like, that's not some super spiritual, like, I went up on a mountain, God spoke to me in a crazy audible voice, and I came down, I had, a, I had all of a sudden had vision. But like Nehemiah, all, all that happens if you read Nehemiah chapter 1 is that he gets a report of what the state of Jerusalem is in. So he hears about how the walls are destructed and how people are living there. He hears about that and he's sort of cut to the heart. And he goes, oh my gosh, I may have to do something about it. And then he prays and he fasts and he prays and he fasts for a while. Eventually coming to the point where he goes, yeah, I have to do something about this. I'm the one in the king's courts. So he recognizes his own situation And he goes, okay. And he goes towards the king and he basically says to God, you know, if this is your will, like if this is you, you've got to help me get through this because if I tell the king that I want to rebuild the walls, most likely he will kill me. And instead the king says, yeah, when are you leaving? When are you going to return? And that's then his vision. He's like, okay, this is clearly what God wants me to do. And so... I kind of like that. It's not just like this super spirit, but it's this, it's this process of discovering what God wants for his people and that the leaders went through that and did that. And I'm not sure if you... Um, and this happens... Like, this is not just ch- church thing. This is like all of life. Like, I don't know if any of you saw Australian Open. Who, who watched the Australian Open in January? Yeah, that's good. So Novak Djokovic. I don't know. There's a video of him that sort of surfaced when he was seven years old. Did anyone see that? A seven-year-old interview. The most confident seven-year-old I've ever seen. And he, they ask him a whole bunch of questions. And this is another kid interviewing him. And basically says, you know, what's your goal? Like, what's your goal with this? Flat out, dead straight, says, I'm gonna be, I want to be world number one. Seven years old, he goes, yeah, I'm going to be world number one. You know, that's his vision. That's his goal. But, of course, he can't do that by himself. He needs people to come around him. You know, he needs coaches, he needs his parents to help him, he needs physios, dietitians, all these people come around him to actually help him achieve that. And pretty cool that he has, you know. Basically, his vision becomes their vision. That's what I find cool. Like, his vision becomes their vision in terms of the team around him and the people around him. We see it throughout the Old Testament as well. Um, one example, I was thinking of Moses. You know, Moses is the one that goes to the burning bush, has this encounter with God, has this vision now to set God's people free. But he realizes he can't do that himself. In fact, he can't even do public speaking. So he gets Aaron around him, Miriam comes around him, other people come around him to help him. And then he goes towards Pharaoh and he starts enacting it. But then he still needs people to follow. Like the Exodus wouldn't have been that good if it was just Moses and his team. But... People come around him because they recognize that God's working. And 
And basically, after reflecting on some of that, John Chambers is going to be proud of this. Bill Hybels has um, uh, what he calls leadership axioms. All right? And I've Googled this, and all it came up with was websites to Assassin's Creed, which is a video game. So I'm pretty confident it is nearly original. So I'm claiming it as Joel Poppenbeck's first leadership axiom. And um, when I start a mega church and making millions, I might write a book. You guys can all buy it. Um, but, like I said, it's probably taken, but I kind of like it. And it's this idea that this, every vision hangs on unity. And that's really what we want to look at this morning. Every vision hangs on unity. That unless there's unity around a vision, a vision doesn't get achieved. It doesn't succeed. So that's really what we want to look at this morning. That unless we're unified around a goal, around a purpose, we don't reach what God wants for us. It's just a nice idea. It's just words on a paper. It's just, you know, letters under a logo. Unless we unify around a purpose and around a vision, you know, it doesn't happen. And that's what we see in Nehemiah, and that's what Ken sort of alluded to with the Lego, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. It's on the screens as well. Nehemiah chapter 2. And we're going to go from verse 17. Sorry, as I hope that doesn't suffer you up too much. Oh, there we go. That's nice. All right, so Nehemiah chapter 2. Got it? People? Got it? Good. There's a few. All right. Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to start verse 17 and read to the end of verse 20. So just like I said, a bit of background. Nehemiah, he's had his report. He's gone to the king. He's prayed in his fast. So he's gone to the king. king said, yep. You can leave when you're returning. I'll give you whatever you need to go and do this. And then Nehemiah has actually gone to Jerusalem. He's walked around. He's seen the walls. He's seen the state of the people. And then he comes to the people and he says this, verse 17, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates are burnt. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonites and Tobiah the Ammonites and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we are his servants and we will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So as I was reading through that the last couple of weeks, I remember I read through it all. I read through like all of Nehemiah and like it's pretty much the only verse I underlined was that let us rise up and build. And that's what jumped off at the page at me. And that's what I felt like, you know, God wanted to say to us this morning, that that, that would become our cry, that that would become, you know, our heart that says, let us rise up and build. Yeah, things aren't as they should be. And so let us rise up and build and let's do it. You know, 
I love that line, let us rise up and build. It's sort of this sense of, let's do it. Let's do it. There's, you know, they can see the walls are down. They, they've heard of how God has worked through Nehemiah, their leader, and they go, yeah, let's do it. There's no questions. There's no doubt. There's no concerns. There's no sort of wrestling this through and let's, well, let's chat about that. It's just, no, let's do it. You know, the, the next line, it says, let us rise up and build. And so they strengthen their hands for the good work. They didn't just say it, but it's like they put their gloves on straight away. Yeah, let's, let's get our hands ready. Let's go and do it. There's no stalling, no waiting, no sort of let's get everyone. And, and here's the thing, like not even everyone got on board. You know, it wasn't 100% unity. I don't, I don't even know that that's possible to get everyone 100% on board. In the, in the next chapter, in chapter 3, it lists all the people that built, what section they did. And it says about one people, it says about the nobles of one tribe, and it says they did not stoop to do the Lord's work. So it's like not even everyone built, but there's this sense that the majority of the sense, let, let's just do it. Let's go for it. Let's rise up and build. And so, in chapter 3, it is such a hard chapter to read. I was like, oh, we should read that as a church. Read it at home, and you get, like, the biblical name test, like, version, like, the hardest difficulty. It is name after name, this person built here, this person, it just repeats and stuff. So, quick summary, all right? We'll give you a quick summary. Three points, all right? Firstly, there's different areas. I think it's on one of the slides. Um, different gifts. There's people with different gifts, all right? So there's all these people listed. Guess what? Not all of them are expert builders, okay? So we have, these are the people that worked. Some of them are goldsmiths, jewelers, you know, nitty-gritty. They're working really small things. They're building walls. There is merchants, people that sell, people that selling things, the merchants are there. There's perfumers. I don't know what perfume makers, like what that job would have been like, but like I imagine a modern day perfume maker and he doesn't really seem like someone you'd want building on a wall. I don't know if that's like really judgmental or stereotypical, but like, I don't know, that's just not someone I imagine heavy lifting, building the walls. But he's there working. Uh, we have the priests, the church, the church staff are working. Everyone's on board. Um, and there's even a mention of this guy who's building with his daughters. And that, you know, it wasn't just the guys doing the work. Everyone's involved. All these people, different gifts, different backgrounds are working on the wall. And this will all make sense in a minute. There's different areas, okay? So each person has their section. Some would have been larger, some would have been smaller. Some would have been maybe more important. Others would have been a bit less, you know, would have been the backside of the city. No one really cares about that. There were some people working on, like, glamorous gates. Like, some people would have had to rebuild the main gate. Would have been a pretty important job. Some people, the Bible never really mentions what this is, but I think the name gives it away. It's called the Dung Gate. All right? Probably not the place, you know, if you had to choose all the gates to work on, that's probably not the one you'd choose. 
But all of them are equally recognized. Like all of them in chapter 3 are mentioned. All of them are important. And there's even this sense that there's different passions. You know, that the priests, they built, uh, rebuilt the sheep gate. The sheep gate most likely would have been near the temple, and that's where people brought their sacrifices in. So they brought all their sheep, their lambs, their young goats, and all that, and they brought them through near the temple to prepare to be sacrificed. So that's where the priests built, because like that's the area they're passionate about. That's where you know, their involvement is, and they did that. Other people built opposite their homes. You know, this is where my home is, and that's what I'm sort of passionate about, so I'm going to build the wall opposite my home. So why do I mention all that? Why do I give you a quick history lesson on Nehemiah 2 and 3? Because I think there's a really important point here for us when we think about our church and we think about you know, us as God's people. It's this, is that everyone needs to build. Everyone's on board, but it looks different for everyone. Everyone's building, but it looks different for everyone. You know, if we want to get around this vision, you know, I think it's on the next slide. We've got, you know, Glenn's been throwing around this around the last few weeks, you know, um, moving people in following Christ. You know, if, if we get around that, it's going to look different for everyone. The same goal, the same purpose, but different, one different gifts. You know, some people have a capacity to do it in other ways that other people can't. Some people got different gifts, different talents, different resources, different time, but everyone's still moving people to follow Jesus. There's going to be different areas. You know, some walls, some people are building this side of the wall, other people are building this side of the wall. It's going to be larger for some and smaller for others. There's going to be different contexts, different networks, different ministries, different demographics, but still moving people to follow Jesus different passions you know i was thinking about this you know there's going to be some people that are going to be a bit more passionate about growing disciples there's going to be some people will be a bit, bit more passionate about caring for people and there's some people that'll be a bit more passionate about reaching the world and i think that's okay there's different passions but everyone's still moving people to follow jesus the same purpose different passions and you know that's not an excuse to not do the others but it's a license to focus on one all right, so it's not an excuse to say, oh, I don't have to do that because I'm more passionate about it. You know, it's just a license to focus there, but you still do the others. And you know, this is, I think, unity. You know, it's a picture of all the kids building the Lego. Everyone involved. Same purpose, same, same desire, and that's to move people to follow Jesus. And imagine if we had unity around that. Imagine if everyone said, yeah, let's rise up and do that. Let's rise up and build. You know, like Glenn said, you know, last, I think it was last week, you know, if everyone does three people, if everyone moves three people to follow Jesus in your lifetime, so not just in the next couple of years, but in, in your lifetime, I think it was after 25 cycles we've reached the population of the world. 20 times. 20, oh, look, even less. 20 cycles and you reach the whole population. Like, that's what unity achieves. That's what... And that's what Jesus prayed for in John 17. Jesus prays that they may be one as I and the Father are one. And that's his prayer for us, that we'd be one in vision and one in purpose. However, it's not just about that. All right? 
So hands up if you've ever sort of been on a building site or a reno site or something like that. With, so, and it's not just you. Like it's you and multiple people. Hands up. Oh, wow, it's actually a fair few. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so believe it or not, even I have these Sri Lankan curry hands that are designed for technical support have built a house. The walls are still standing. People are still living in it. And, um, yeah, I'm pretty happy to say that I've built a couple of houses. So that's in, in Uganda. So with school, we run Schoolies Revolution. We take young people for their schoolies trips, and one of the trips we run to is to Uganda. And um, it's fun, don't get me wrong, but building a house with 20 18-year-olds is, uh, is interesting. We'll put it that way. <laughs> These three Muppets are on the same trip together. And don't worry, I'm not going to go there, all right? We have a little inside story, but we won't bring that up in front of all church. All right? Um, just imagine, though. Just imagine. 20 18-year-olds. They're in a foreign culture, so there's probably a bit of culture shock still. Some of them are a bit homesick. It's hot. Like, it's like 30-odd degrees. Um, it's It's muddy. There's heavy lifting, there's hard digging, and really it's, it's pretty hard work. Let alone that some of these kids have probably never done any physical labor in their lives. And here they are, and they're, doing, they're building a house together. And look, everyone's keen to build the house. Everyone's on board. Everyone's like, yeah, we want to finish the house, we want to build it. Yep, they're, they're, they're united around the purpose, all right? But let's just say things can get a bit tense within the team, all right? Sometimes things boil over. As leaders, we often talk about the day. There's always the day that comes and everything just goes wrong. And there's arguing and there's fighting and, oh, it's enjoyable. Um, but there's always the day that comes. And, and basically, it's so much so that, we, you know, we say to the teams, mission, what you're doing here, this is not about building the house, but it's about how you build the house. Yeah? Like, it's not about building the house, it's about how you build the house. Because, you know, what we actually, the way we do these things sends a louder message than the fact that we actually do it. That people don't, that in, people don't really notice, they notice that you build a house, but they pay a lot more attention to how you build that house. You know, whether you've done that as a team, whether people have been involved, and that's the thing that they remember. They remember, oh, I remember these people were really good workers. You know, I've gone back a few times and I talked, and they're like, oh, yeah, he was a monafu. <laughs> he was very weak and lazy. <laughs> and that's what they remember. They remember how you did it, not the fact that you did it. And I think you could apply the same thing to all the ministries and all of life that we do. You know, you think about, Cavell Kitchen, you know, people, will know, like, people love the food that you serve them, but they probably notice how you do it a lot more and whether you connect with them, whether you serve well as a team. Same thing is when you spend time with your kids. Like, it's not just enough to just go, okay, kids, let's go hang out and then sit on your phone the whole time. You know, it's, it's how you do it that people will remember. And so when it comes to unity around a purpose, when it comes to being a church, it's not just enough to be one around a vision, 
But we have to do that well, and we have to do that together. And we need to seek unity in love. You know, we need to do it in a way that honors God, not just do things. In Ephesians 4, um, it says this. I forgot to put a bookmark there, so I'll just read it off the screen. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in a bond of peace. Yeah, how do you walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called? You sort of ignore the values in the middle. It's you're eager to maintain unity. Like it's probably not the criteria we often use when we're talking to people. You know, how's your faith walk going? How's your walk with Jesus going? You know, people are usually thinking about their own private time, but actually Paul sort of points you more to the fact, are you maintaining unity? Like, that's the question he asks, you know, in terms of, are you following God? Well, the question is, are you, are you maintaining unity? That's, you know, that's how we walk in a manner worthy. That, that's how we sort of walk with Jesus, is are we doing it in unity? And so how do we do that? How do we, do, how do we maintain unity? And that's where Paul lists four things. Humility, gentleness, patience, and love. So humility, C.S. Lewis sums it up pretty well. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. All right? So humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. It's putting others first. Gentleness, gentleness throughout the Bible is this idea of meekness. It's knowing your power, but not sort of always exercising that power. It's meekness, not weakness, all right? Being gentle is not weak. Patience, throughout the Bible, is also this idea of slow to anger. It's being slow to anger. And love, you know, greater love is no man than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. It's sacrificial. It's putting others first, not expecting something in return. That's how we do unity together. That's how we have unity, not just around a purpose and around doing things, but around being a people of unity and doing that together. Easy, right? Humility, patience, gentle, easy, yeah? This is where you go, no. (laughs) Or maybe it is for you, but not for me. It's not easy. So how do we do it? And this is what I love, is that it's maintained the unity of the Spirit. It's the Spirit's unity. And not only that, but it's maintaining unity. It's not create unity. It's not sort of manufacture unity among people. It's maintain it. God's already unified us through Jesus. He's reconciled each of us individually, and therefore, as a people, we can't. So God's the one that starts the unity and initiates it, and we maintain it. It's God's unity that we seek. It's like Glenn mentioned the other day. You know, imagine... Imagine if everyone, imagine if you walked in the church and every single person loved you like that. With humility, with gentleness, with patience, with love. That everyone was eager to maintain unity. Not just superficially pushing things under the carpet and pretending like it's all okay. But actually deep-seated love where we 
forgive each other, where we work to reconcile with one another, where we look out for someone else's interests above our own. Like, imagine that. Imagine every person here loving you like that. And I go, that's a church I want to be a part of. Like, that's a community I want to live in. But it's not just one I want to be a part of, because I think most people would say that. But the question is, is that one you want to create? Is that one you want to maintain? Because everyone goes, yeah, I want to see that. But the reality is, is that takes a lot of hard work. So are we eager to maintain unity amongst us? It's not about how... It's not about the fact that we just build the house. It's not about the fact that we just do church things, but it's about how we build the house and how we do church. And it's by your love for one another that people know you're my disciples. Like That's how people know it. Not by doing a whole bunch of awesome things, but by being a loving community. So how do we do that? Like I said, it's a spirit unity, but it's by God's power. You know, and... At the start of, you know, when we read Nehemiah 2, they say, let us rise up and build. And there's a few guys that have a go at them. And how does Nehemiah respond? It says this, the God of heaven will make us prosper. Like, you know what? This probably won't work. In human eyes, this doesn't quite make sense. The fact that a king would let us go and rebuild a city that they were once at war with. It doesn't make sense. But by God's hand, he'll make us prosper. And, you know, so I think about us and I think about, you know, do you ever imagine what God could do amongst us? Like if we said the same thing, yeah, like, look, we can't, you know, it's pretty hard to disciple people. It's pretty hard to move people to follow Jesus. But what if by God's power, he, made it, he was the one that made us prosper? Like, imagine what could happen. Like, imagine 150 people discipling three people each. What's the math? Josh, help me. <laughs> you know, it's like 450 people. And like, I mean, yeah, you can do that over a lifetime, but by God's power, you can do that over six months. And then you choose another three people for another six months and there's another 450. All of a sudden, you're up to 900 people. I know my maths. And imagine if you could get... Do you, know, like, do you know what I mean? Like, All of a sudden, our little church here, One Hope, 150, 200 people, whatever it is, has impacted 900 over a year. Imagine what that could be over a few years. Like, and I'm not saying that because, like, look at us, how good are we? But like, how good, like, imagine, like, we can't do that ourselves. But God's power, we can. And imagine if God did that through us. Imagine the kingdom. Imagine what could happen. In Nehemiah chapter 6, this is like the cool bit. I think we got it on the slide. Nehemiah 6 verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days. 
And when all of our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So two things that happen when we work in God's power, not our own. One, 52 days. 52 days it took them to build the wall. Now, obviously, the wall wasn't completely destroyed, but it would have been pretty severely uh, damaged. And basically, they didn't rebuild the city to like full size as it was in David's time or Jesus' time. So it would have been a bit smaller. So conservative estimates, this is how big it would have been. It would have been 2,000 meters long, 2.5 meters thick and 12 meters high with 10 gates or there's 10 gates mentioned. So to give you an idea, Google has uh, helped us out here. All right, Google Maps. So if you go from Cavell Corner, 17 Cavell Street, that's Cavell Corner just out here. Walk along that road towards the entrance of the school, keep going and follow that around the corner, Jolson Avenue. All right, follow that then to Stud Road. Walk down uh, a little while. I can't remember how much that distance was. But you're not taking sort of the first left, which most people turn into. But you're going further down there. Turn in, turn down, come back up to Rose Hill. And then there's Benedict Reserve, where the Omance used to be. You follow that up, turn left and right. That's 2,000 metres. All right, just to give you a rough idea. That's a pretty big wall. I mean, that takes 24 minutes to walk. That's like Google Fitness Standard. I reckon it'll take a bit longer. Like that, that's a big wall. And there's no sort of cranes or bulldozers or machinery or anything. Like, this is just people and their bare hands and whatever tools they could make up. 52 days, a ragtag bunch of people, perfumers and goldsmiths and Merchants and priests. They built a wall 12 metres high. I don't even know how 12 metres high is, but that's pretty high. It's taller than this, is it? More than double. Oh, wait. I was going to, like, bring my tape measure on Friday. I'm like, oh, that'll be about 12 metres. <laughs> no. That's a big wall for 52 days for people that weren't expert builders. So, one... When we work in God's power, we achieve God's results. And we achieve them in God's time. Like God does amazing things when we work in His power, not our own. The second thing that happens, if you want to chuck it back to that, the verse, is that people don't notice the people, like the Israelites, but they notice God. <laughs> you know, people fell in sort of fear and they, they were a bit scared because they go, no way any people could do that. Whoever their God is must have helped. Now, they didn't notice the people, but they noticed God. And that's what I love. Because that's what it's about. It's about His glory, not our own. It's not that we would look good as a church because look how many people we've discipled and look how many people are following Jesus because of us. Like, that's not what it's about. But it's about God and His glory and His kingdom advancing. That, that when we live in unity, when we do what God wants from us, when we work towards a vision together, 
but also we do that in love and in unity. When that's all empowered by God, people begin to notice God, not us, because they begin to see God-shaped results and not us. And like I said before, John 13, 35, I think. By your love for one another, people will know you're my disciples. You know, um, a guy writing in the third century, Tertullian, who's a church father, he says this, that outsiders, they would see the Christian community and they would say in amazement, see how they love one another. And it was well known that Christians called each other brother and sister and that the bonds between them were stronger than those with non-believing family members. That people on the outside of the church would look and they would say in amazement, see how they love one another. Like that is what happens when we begin to live out God's purpose with God's love and God's power, is that people will begin to notice. So our prayer is this, is that we would join in unity around a purpose, that we would all rise up and build and make disciples and move people to follow Jesus. Each and every person figuring out which area do I, you know, what area of the wall is mine? What gifts am I? How can I contribute? And it's going to look different for each and every person, but still each and every person moving people to follow Jesus. But not only that, because I think if we just think like that, it's so easy just to get caught up in doing this and doing that and programs and all of a sudden we're back into religion and back where we started. But it's also how do we do that well? How do we do that as a family that loves each other? And sometimes that will send a louder message than the fact that we just do stuff. So just quickly, as we wrap up, um, I want to just, just think about this question. Just ask yourself, am I eager to maintain unity? That's it. That's the criteria that Paul puts out there. If you want to walk in a manner that honors God, Am I eager to maintain unity? So just ask yourself that, pray about that, and then I'll, um, I'll pray to wrap this up. So God, just as you are one, Father, Son, and Spirit, God, I pray that you'd make us one. God, may you continue just to grow unity amongst us that we would be united in our cause and would be united in our love. And God, that your spirit would just empower us to live that out. And God, that amazing, we would see amazing things happen. God, that the people in our workplaces, the people in our unis, our schools, our families, our friends, that people would notice what you're doing here. God, for the community around us, that they would notice. And God, we just pray that 
not for our sakes, but for your glory alone, God. So continue just to work that in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.